Hi, my name is Umberto Mucci and this is We The Italian News, a podcast about Italy during coronavirus times. Today is Thursday, September 29, 2022. Tomorrow, September 30, Italy will see the end of most of the last restrictions of the pandemic era, which still oblige people to cover their noses and mouths with FFP2 masks on buses, subways and trains, as well as inside hospitals, doctors' offices and nursing homes. Then, on October 31, workplace safety protocols will expire, which among other things still require the use of masks indoors when spacing cannot be maintained. At that point, the only remaining restriction will be the green pass for inpatients and visitors for hospitals and residences for the elderly, which does not expire until the end of the year and requires swabbing before entering a healthcare facility. <clears throat> Meanwhile, in the last week, Covid infections have picked up again, but compared to a year ago, if the number of new infections is four times higher, the number of Covid hospitalizations in ICUs is four times lower. It will be necessary to push on the vaccination campaign for the fourth dose, hope that the new variants will continue to be of little harm, and that the inevitable increase in infection due to the arrival of autumn will not impact hospitals, intensive care units and deaths too negatively. Meanwhile, still on the health team, There are two new pieces of good news coming out of Italy. An Italian test will tell us when to vaccinate again. A group of Italian researchers in the Piedmont region has developed a simple blood test that can overcome the limitations of current serological tests, which alone cannot determine the level and duration of immunity to the COVID virus. Not everyone benefits equally from COVID vaccination. For instance, I vaccinated for the fourth time two days ago. In some people, the immune response against the virus is stronger and longer lasting than in others. Therefore, it may happen that one individual needs a new dose of anti-COVID vaccine after a few months and another after six or even 10 months. This test makes it possible to measure and thus verify whether the immune system is still able to fight the virus or whether it needs to be boosted with a new dose of the vaccine. Besides, an ambitious project was presented in the Campania region of Naples, Italy, thanks to which in a few years it will no longer be necessary to take blood samples for analysis, but the application of a simple bracelet will suffice to measure data that will be remotely transmitted in real time directly to an operation center. This will be a real revolution. As you know, elections were held in Italy last Sunday. We will talk about that in a moment. In the meantime, Mario Draghi's current government continues to work, waiting for the new one to be appointed in October. On the Friday before the elections, after lengthy negotiations, Draghi obtained the European Commission's green light to the second tranche of recovery plan funds which will allow the new Italian government to avoid having to negotiate the disbursement of planned resources as the first thing as soon as it takes office. In addition, after the favorable opinion of the Italian parliament, the government finally approved the justice reform, which is essential for the next steps of the European recovery plan. The government also approved this year's budget update, according to which the inflation and the energy crisis will cause a slowdown in GDP growth, which will then start growing again in 2024 and 2025, thanks to the higher than expected growth recorded in the first half of 2022. But thanks to the measures taken so far, inflation in Italy is set to start coming down by the end of the year. Another piece of good news for which Italians have the Draghi government to thank, uh, to thank is that Italy has sourced sufficient alternative supplies of gas from North Africa to make up for any shortfalls this winter if Russia were to immediately cut off all experts to the country. 
Russian gas now accounts for just 10% of Italian supplies, down from around 40% before Russia invaded Ukraine in February. And even that 10% could, could soon be replaced. Now that the Draghi government is coming to the end of its run, we can recall the results of this experience. During the 20 months of Draghi's government, Italy and with it the Italian stock market have regained credibility against the major European stock exchanges. The difference with German bonds, the benchmark Europe, is back below the levels recorded in the previous five years. Growth, the GDP deficit level and unemployment have all shown signs of improvement. Last year's GDP grew by 6.6%, far more than the rates recorded, recorded every year in the last 20 years. Growth has then been accompanied by strict financial discipline that has allowed the debt to GDP ratio to fall. From 155.6% in 2020, we have dropped to 153.5% in 2021, while projections for the end of the year picture a ratio of 149%. The ability to meet the agenda even on the European Recovery Plan has significantly lowered Italy's country risk and this has allowed the stimulus and support provided during the pandemic to be in the same proportions as other major European countries, although Italy finances itself at much higher rates than others. In the first half of 2022, the unemployment rate fell from 10% at the end of 2021 to 8%, but more importantly, the youth unemployment rate fell from 33% in January 2021 before Draghi became Prime Minister to 23% at the end of June 2022. All of this ends today that elections have given Italy a new majority. A new majority formed by two parties that have ended the Draghi government experience and especially led by the real party that won the elections, Fratelli d'Italia, the only one that was not in the majority supporting the Draghi government. It should be remembered that Draghi does not belong to any party. He was called by the President of the Republic to form a technical government after two different political governments had fallen in the legislature that had just ended due to fights in the political majorities supporting them. In the new Italian Parliament, <coughs> after the reform that almost halved the number of its members, there will be a large majority with 237 center-right deputies out of 400 and 115 center-right senators out of 200. The center-right coalition won the general election with 44% of the vote. They will have just under 60% of the members of both chambers, enough for a solid government but not enough for the two-thirds of the seats it needs to reform the Italian constitution, one of the goals of the program of the coalition that won the election. 16 million Italians, 36% of those eligible, did not vote. This is the highest percentage ever. 9 percentage points and 4.5 million more people than in 2011, uh, 2018. Abstention was mostly concentrated in southern and suburban areas with lower average incomes and lower education. 40% of eligible younger voters aged 18 to 34 did not vote, 4 out of 10. The different institutional steps needed between now and when we will have the new government are these. On October 13, the members of the two branches of our parliament, the Chamber of Deputies and the Senate of, Senate of the Republic, will meet for the first time and will elect their new presence in a few days. Then the consultations of the President of the Republic with the parties necessary to arrive at the formation of a government will begin at the Quirinal Palace. 
They are likely to begin about a month after the vote, this time perhaps earlier, since the handover must take place with some speed. In October, the first draft of the budget law must be presented to be approved by the Parliament by the end of the year. This phase is used to check where the dialogue between the parties stands and whether an agreement has already been reached to form a parliamentary majority. The outcome of the elections leaves little doubt. The right-wing coalition is self-sufficient and will have a majority on its own. After the consultations, the President of the Republic entrusts the task to the leader capable of holding this majority together, which in this case today will be Giorgia Meloni, 45 years old, who will be the first woman in history to lead the Italian government and also the second youngest Italian Prime Minister. At this point, the person in charge of forming the new government accepts the assignment and after a final check on the possibility of forming a government, returns to the Quirinal Palace to the President of the Republic, who signs the decrees appointing the new head of government and the ministers. According to the constitutions, in fact, in fact, it is the President of the Republic who appoints the Prime Minister and, upon his, or in this case, for the first time, her proposal, the ministers. The new Prime Minister and ministers assume their duties by swearing allegiance to their Republic before President Mattarella. Finally, within 10 days of the degree of appointment, the government must go before both chambers and obtain a vote of confidence from parliamentarians. In the past, these steps have often been complicated by the lack of a certain majority that came out of the elections, but this time everything should run smoothly. Once again, I am pleased to end this video with some good news regarding Italy. The first, the most important, is that, of, is that as of yesterday, Italy's Samantha Cristoforetti became the first European woman to take over command of the International Space Station. She will be the new commander of the space station until she returns to Earth on October 10. Cristoforetti, another Italian 45-year-old woman like Giorgio Meloni, is a European Space Agency astronaut and former Italian Air Force pilot and arrived for a second tour on the ISS in April. Another piece of news concerns two scientists, one Swedish and one Polish, who created the first single-seat drone that runs on a battery and can be flown without the need for patents or permits. What's that got to do with Italy, you might say? Well, the two scientists have moved their entire business to Tuscany and there are hiring engineers and programmers. Some of these are Italian, but the two scientists said they were amazed at how many people from all over the world are eager to move to Italy to work on a similar project for which they have already received 600 orders. According to them, Tuscany is the perfect place because of its climate, technological know-how, cap capacity for innovation, but also tradition in our affair and expertise, and of course, its beauty. Another innovation comes from Sannio in the, in the Campania region, where some Italian researchers have built the first hydrogen fuel cells powered house in Europe. The energy crisis and climate change are forcing European institutions to find ways to reduce the use of fossil fuels and slash carbon dioxide emissions. These southern Italian researchers have come up with one solution hitting both targets. The building in Benevento is a student house but also a living laboratory, a real-life experiment to assess the benefits and limitations of these technologies for future applications in the residential sector. The fuel cells fully powered by hydrogen generate the electricity and heating needed to meet the building's needs. 
Besides, the building also produces renewable energy from solar and geothermal sources and is being held as a result as a zero emission building, the one of its kind in Europe. Last but not least, something about resilience and the relationship with art and nature contained in Italian DNA. You may know the story of Xylella, a bacterium that has unfortunately killed many olive trees in beautiful Puglia, the Italian region that corresponds to the heel of the Italian boot. Olive trees have always been the symbol of nature in Puglia. An artist from this beautiful territory is turning olive trees dying from this bacterium into works of art, and slowly he has convinced other local people to work with him on the dying trees. <coughs> the Apulian farmers do not know that all over the world this is called land art. For them, it is a form of respect and final tribute to the beautiful nature they have seen around them since they were born. It was a real pain, it is a real pain, going through the skeletons of thousands of trees killed by the bacterium. So these artists started painting these olive trees white, and each one of these olive trees used to give one truckload of olives, olives a year before they got sick. Today they are a burden, even psychological, and a problem. Some people cut them down, some sell them to lumberjacks who get the last wood from them, some burn them. Instead, this project gives the olive trees one last tribute, a thank you for what they have meant and done for the area. It will be a cemetery and a work of art, a new beauty that is not just a funeral memory, however, because the art project involves a cure with lime that disinfects and first the pruning of the dry. It's like being with an old man who will die, but you take care of him because that life of his has great value and because you want to thank him for what he gave you and your land. It's all for now, it's all for today. My name is Umberto Mucci, this was with Italian News. I'll see you next Thursday. Please stay safe and take care. Ciao from Rome.